0: Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today I have Karen Sendra, who is a U.S. Air Force veteran. She has also supported the Defense Industrial Base as a contractor and is currently seeking a new career in the uncleared job market. So today we're going to discuss her past experience, the journey of the military transition, tips for those that are currently job-seeking, and what your candidate online brand can do for you throughout that process. So the hope here is that candidates listening in will gain some traction while they are throwing out applications, and recruiters might be able to learn some tricks to tap into talent a little bit faster. So before I dive into my questions, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. Let's first start with your experience in the service and contracting after separating what kind of work you did and what that journey looked like for you.
1: Yeah, so I was active duty Air Force first and last duty assignment. It was considered a special duty assignment because it was a part of a security squadron and the security forces called elite guard. And so the differentiator with that versus your general MPs or security forces is your primary mission is for the commander and protection of all the assets at that level. A little bit different opportunity. You're exposed to very different level and caliber of people. I was at Ramstein Air Force Base Germany. It's a huge base. A lot of military are familiar with it especially those that deploy. A lot of people go through that base when they're going from base to base. So I had a really good experience. I got out sooner than I had planned. I was getting ready to transfer over to Washington, D.C., and I was in the process of my TSSEI, and unfortunately I didn't pass the pulmonary function test, which is essentially my breathing capacity at the time. I chalked that up to allergies as I was perfectly healthy and fit, didn't have any issues with my PRT or any of my PT, but that was just the way that the examination went. So instead of fighting it and thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to keep staying in and let's do a retake on that test and all of that, I just decided to get out. And this was around 2007 and contracting for the type of work that I did, which was in security and operations was still really strong overseas. So I had a lot of opportunities back then. I still had an active clearance, and I, it was a benefit for sure to be a female with my background, willing to go overseas and do that kind of work. So I had pretty good opportunities for quite a while. The downside of all of that, which most know, is a lot of wear and tear on your body when you're in those environments consistently. So I had to just kind of back down and wean out of that to get back to the States and just kind of have a better quality of life, which is why I stopped contracting. And that was around 2012.
0: Sure. And so, as you were going through accepting what the status quo was when you were getting out and then sort of translating your skills into the private sector, working, you know, as a civilian thereafter service, what was the thought process as you were networking with potential employers and hoping to translate your skills that you did in the military? How did all of that go for you?
1: So, honestly, you know, and I've, I've talked a lot about this, and I felt like I had a voice and something to say just because of all the different conflict that was happening with veterans transitioning and that transition. To me, it wasn't so much me, and I'm sure we all say that. I I didn't feel that I was really holding myself back from transitioning into a different sector. I felt like there was a stigma because of the type of work that I was doing for so many years that people just automatically perceived me a certain way. So when someone sees you as high adrenaline, mission-oriented, traveling, deployment, you know, law enforcement type, it's very difficult to get them to see you through another lens. And it doesn't matter how you tailor your resume, I'm just being honest, people believe what they want to. So I think that was the challenge is that regardless of how I propositioned myself and I spoke and I articulated and the other skill sets that I had that were highly relatable to the civilian sector, you can't just scratch through the stigma or the initial perception of how they view you. So I really feel like that's a huge barrier for all of us that come from you know the operations security frontline type of positions in particular I do think we all have that barrier to overcome And it's very difficult because it's not necessarily within our span of control.
0: It's a valid point, you know, people are going to see what they want to see and some of that bias there. And so let's talk about some tips on maybe to combat that. And then other tips for those that might be transitioning out currently.
1: Sure. So there's lots of different ways. And everybody, you know, obviously, is going to have different results in their journey. So it's I'm not going to cast a net too wide. Again, I think my background is more particular for those that were previously cleared, are cleared, coming from security, frontline operations, that type of positioning. My message is probably will relate with them more so. So I think that, you know, when they're when they're looking to transition, I think that the best thing you can do as far as trying to swap out industries, I think that's the hardest part is you're really going to have to have a conversation with the person before they can get a different idea of who you are. Unfortunately, the resumes and all of that, like I said, they just, regardless of how you fan them up, they're going to paint a certain picture just because of the subconscious thought process of the type of work that you've done, even if you leave a lot of the details out. So I found myself throughout the years when I was transitioning into more civilian sector type roles, getting more into the human capital and, you know, a little bit more of the human resource side, that a lot of the things that I knew how to do and I did daily contracting and in the military, I didn't put on my resume. And it's not that those skills weren't highly relatable. It's the story. It's of having to explain how, and then going past that stigma of what they're going to perceive you to be like as an employee in their organization. So I actually found it helpful, and it was a bit of a, a you know tumultuous energy for me to to not necessarily share all the things that I knew how to do with the employers, even though I could see how they would be completely relatable because of that barrier of having to explain it and get them to be comfortable with where you came from. So that's a piece that I think it's a little controversial, but sometimes you do have to leave out some of your background and capabilities, especially if you're not staying in that line of work like government contracting, because the average civilian sector doesn't want to know and it makes them uncomfortable and they can't relate. So I think that's just kind of the bottom line.
0: And, you know, I I haven't heard that very much, but it is a valid point, just tailoring what you are trying to go after and being okay with leaving some of that stuff out. I think people are naturally inclined to want to include everything to cast that wide net. And so I think on the flip side, when folks are transitioning out, it is a sea of goodwill that folks can drown in sometimes. And so are there any resources when you were transitioning out that you felt were really helpful for you in your journey?
1: Yeah, so I kind of came from a different situation. I, I'm not today's veteran, so to speak, even though I'm line 11 I and mean, a lot of people think that I've gotten out recently. I've actually been out since 2007. So I've been out for a while, and then I contracted up to about 2012. So back when I got out, I didn't have LinkedIn. And I was discussing with a couple other veterans doing different interviews and conversations. I don't even remember my tap, so I don't, I don't even know what they gave me. It, it definitely wasn't probably like it is now. So, you know, your transition process and, and the information you receive in each branch and situation is going to be different, obviously, depending on when you got out and what resources were available. I had to be very self reliant and creative with my process because I didn't have, you know, all these workshops and mentorships and you know, all this stuff that they're throwing at the veterans now. And I think you made a point about, you know, the sea of goodwill. I personally think there's too many resources out there. They're very confusing and convoluting to the average veteran that's just looking for something specific. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out which one of these workshops is better, which one of these, and it's just, we don't need the stress. So I've had to be pretty resilient and self-reliant, and I think I just trust my intuition a lot as far as the people that I connect with and building my network very slowly and methodically throughout the years. It's never been about quantity for me. The advice that I read now from a lot of the, the experts I find a little bit disingenuous, but that's just what they're sharing with the veterans. So I just try to keep it real. And I think that the relationships that I have built and the opportunities that I have come across have been because I've been true to myself throughout the years. And I, I advise veterans to definitely try to just stay authentic the best that they can and not get lost in everybody else's advice.
0: Trust yourself and you know, quality over quantity. I love those. And so let's talk about your clearance lapsing and when you kind of came to the decision to leave contracting. So has that brought on any new hurdles for the job search? Or how is that job search different for you today?
1: It's very different. And like I said, we're in a very different world than I was when I got out. So getting out in 2007, obviously, we still had the wars to support. So there was a lot of opportunity for security contracting females with my background overseas. So finding contracts wasn't the problem. The problem was getting sick, being in austere environments, back to back, I don't care who you are. It screws up your immune system. So I just wasn't built past a certain amount of time to keep living the life. So I had to consciously choose, even though that was my bread and butter and that was my financial stability. I just couldn't live the life anymore. I had to find a way to make it work in the States. To me, that's kind of when it started going downhill, to be honest. You know, I I took a lot of different types of opportunities that were more mainstream and civilian. I definitely felt a lot less drive and vision towards the opportunities. And it's not because I didn't want to give my 100%. It's just because the mission was lacking in comparison to the work that I did. So there was an adjustment period of being on, you know, being out in operations versus being behind the scenes and sitting at a desk. I'm definitely not the nine to five desk type. So I've had that barrier throughout the years. I'm not, I don't want to be confined to a desk, I don't want to be confined to you know, certain rigidity that's very common in a lot of these opportunities. So that's been a bit of a challenge as well. So the clearance, obviously, if you don't have a contract, an active contract that will keep that state it will fall, you know, by the wayside on its own. Every, every security clearance has a ticking clock on it. So that's essentially what happened to mine is after I wrapped up with a gig in Northrop Grumman, I was being trained on C-RAM to go overseas to Afghan and Bagram Air Base. C-RAM stands for Counter Rocket Artillery and Mortar. So I was trained up on this technology. And after that contract, when I came home, I said, I'm done. And then the clearance lapsed over. And I think the challenge is there's so many folks that are out with active TSSEIs, like ready to go. So people that have all the experience, but their clearances are inactive, I think we get passed over quite a bit because people just don't want to invest when they can just pick somebody else. So it's a little bit of a cherry picking dilemma. So I've had to lean away from my contract side, which has definitely left a bit of a void for the mission, for finances. it's It's been difficult to try to find that next step that will be long term opportunity versus just a stint.
0: Sure. Well, my, my question that popped up for me is do you ever see yourself getting back to contracting, but it is difficult when you aren't necessarily coming across contractors that are willing to sponsor you to go through that process from scratch again.
1: Right. And I've been told to, you know, and I ever like I said, I'm not I'm not doubting people's stories, but People have encouraged me to apply even with my inactive clearance and saying, oh, you know, even if they say it's active, just put it in there anyway. I found that to be an incredible waste of time (laughs) because I've never had one of those employers just, you know, they see the requirements and the recs and they say, well, she doesn't have a clearance next. They don't care that I've been contracting. They don't care all that I've done. So, again, sometimes the advice train means well, but it doesn't really help. It just creates more frustration. So I think there's definitely... You know, there's the challenge of not having organizations interested in your inactive clearance because they're just not. Now, I'm not saying all backgrounds that would be applicable for. There might be a certain niche. I don't know the cybersecurity types. I don't know. I don't know what the market's targeting now because back when I was active, what I did was a specialty and a hot commodity. Now, since we're no longer there, it's obviously the contracts are a lot few far in between. And that's also been a barrier is that we're no longer supporting that mission. So the work that I did to support that is is not necessarily needed. So it's kind of been eliminated.
0: Yeah. And then it takes a lot of training and upskilling and investing time and not necessarily getting paid to kind of mold yourself into what contracting looks like today. So it does kind of put you in between a rock and a hard place. So, you know, regardless of all that, whatever field or industry you are job seeking in, managing your online brand as a candidate, I think is important and maybe not... necessarily something that's talked about as much you know we're always touting employer brand and reaching talent and recruiters online brand but job seekers having an online brand is important and i think that you have a really great one and so what sort of story do you hope to tell about your journey and then what you're hoping to convince potential employers and recruiters
1: Yeah, so like I said, when I got on this uh, platform, it you know I'm not I'm I'm a bit old school when it comes to all of this because of the line of work and because of my lifestyle, I was off social media pretty much my whole life. So I didn't want anything out in the public, and I, I kept everything pretty private. You can still be yourself, and you could still exude personality and your authenticity, and your personality comes out. But it's still business driven primarily, and that's kind of where I want to stay is in that pocket. So when I you know, when I share my story struggles and I I advocate for others and I bring up controversial topics, I think just being, you know, truthful, raw, authentic, that's sort of my, you know, I would say a lot of people kind of see me as that person that talks about those things that gets overlooked during the tap process and that a lot of people may be feeling but aren't able to articulate. So I'm kind of that voice a little bit for the underdog. But I also want employers, whether it's civilian or government, just to see that about my character and the level of resilience and just my ability to articulate and stand up for the right thing. That, to me, translates to all industries and sectors, and it shouldn't matter what what type of clearance I have or do not have. So if anything, I hope that people are drawn to that energy and ultimately like attracts like. So I'm hoping that, you know, the opportunities that I have had in the last couple years have honestly all been from having the network that I do. So just continuing to be me, I think I would extend that same advice to veterans. And it might take a little work for some people. I know a lot of people are uncomfortable on camera. I noticed that tremendously, even if it's just a little short video, people overthink it. And I would just give some advice about that is When I do videos and I have conversations with people, I really like to be in the moment because to me, that's your truth. So working on just being yourself before you put yourself out there, I think that helps. You know, self-development and knowing yourself. And it comes across, I believe, to the audience. And I think that's beneficial, whether you're looking for work or you're just looking to build your network.
0: Absolutely. Great tips not to overthink it. And I know that me, maybe not, I work in media now, but previously not working in media, there was a little uncomfortability with being vulnerable and putting yourself on the internet. There are safe ways to do it. I mean, you know certainly you want to maintain good cyber hygiene when when you're on open source platforms but there are ways to methodically go through it and i know that you certainly have done that and so those are really great tips for folks in the job search but any others that you want to share here for anyone both cleared or uncleared just looking for their next you know best career
1: yeah. I mean, again, you know, it really depends. I, all of us are very different. We all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different branches, some were weekend warriors, some active duty. I mean, we're all, you know, we say veterans, but we all have very different paths when we were in. I definitely will say there's a lot more barriers for frontline folks in security operations. I would say senior enlisted obviously have a lot of barriers because they're compared to their officer partners a lot, and that, that can create some unnecessary barriers because they're comparing the senior enlisted to the officer, but somehow the officer is coming across as more esteemed and established, and even though they have the same education, it's just the stigma around not being an officer that kind of puts them in a different pocket, and I find that very frustrating for my fellow senior enlisted of not being seen equal to. I know that can be incredibly frustrating. I also say that, you know, it's, it's okay if you don't want to follow the, the program that people give you to transition. And if it doesn't feel right for you, just keep moving, move along your way and keep your network up to date with people that are supporting you. I have noticed that there's kind of a race where it's like build fast, build fast. I want to have thousands. I want to have thousands. I want to be this top percent. And I'm thinking that's all ego driven. That's all great. And at the end of the day, Who are the people that are actually left on that network that support you, that reach out to you, that ever ask you how you're doing? And I think there's a lot of people that just have connections, but they're not actually connected on anything real. So I always advise, I mean, everybody has different reasons for building it, but really focus on your why. Why are you building your network? Are you doing it because in tap they told you to? Find your voice before you start putting out your messages and casting your net for your connections. Because you're gonna start building, you know, another version of yourself and you wanna make sure who's ever sitting at that round table surrounding you actually have your best interests in heart and see you as you are.
0: And I love that. If it doesn't feel right, follow your gut, keep trucking along and just Build, build your own program because it is, it is your journey and your transition. So Karen, I really appreciate you joining us to talk a little bit about your job search journey. Karen is in the job market. So if you do have maybe cleared opportunities that you're willing to sponsor or something unclear that fits within her background, please don't hesitate to reach out If you have a security clearance and you are looking for a job, obviously you can find one on clearancejobs.com. But for those unclear listening, we also want to be a resource if you are looking to get international security careers. So to view our job resource library, visit about.clearancejobs.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA, the nation's number one cyber defense agency. Today, the agency has grown and evolved, assuring the nation's critical and physical infrastructure is secure, resilient, and reliable. Learn more about CISA career opportunities at www.cisa.gov careers.